Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Wendy Papazan. I'm Tiffany Fikes. And I'm Seychelle Van Poole. I am so excited for our episode today because as entrepreneurs ourselves, we can kind of fall into two camps when it comes to our kids wanting to run and own businesses and start their own things. Um, I hear a lot of parents that will say, you know, if I knew how hard this would be as an entrepreneur, I never would have done it, right? (laughs) This is crazy. This is so hard. And then I hear other friends and entrepreneurs saying, oh, my kid is totally going to run my empire someday. And so no matter where you fall on that outlook, it's not right or wrong. Um, And honestly, both can be fair perspectives of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Um, You know, and honestly, on a daily basis, I probably rotate between the two. Um, But I wanted to bring this episode to the table because um, over the last year, our daughter Quinn has been asking about starting her own business, and she's been begging to do it. So today, we're going to be talking about raising entrepreneurs um, or not raising entrepreneurs as kids, whichever way your kids tend to lean. Um, And with Quinn ourselves, you know, she really wanted to start her own business. And for the last year, she's been like begging to do it. And I had been really hesitant personally to jump into that kind of arrangement. You know, we've done a few little things with her, but just to do a business, because I was like, I don't really want another job. Uh, And I was worried that that's what it was going to be. So uh, she's at the point now where she launched her business over a month ago, and she really is doing the work. It's, it's so, so cute. cute. It's it is, so cute. It's so cute. Um, yeah, it's so cute. And so we're going to talk a lot today about what it's like to raise entrepreneurs or what it's not like to raise entrepreneurs. And so we're going to jump and dive right on in. Well, so tell us about um, tell us about her business, though, before. Give her a little plug. Okay. Okay. She'll love that we did this. Um, so she came up with all of this idea, I made her like give a business pitch on it. Um, but her little business is called Cutie Pie Jewels. And she has a little Etsy store. And um, to my dad was in the jewelry business for 40 years. So she's been around the samples and around the business for a really long time and wanted to um, keep that going. So she has a little jewelry business and she hand makes some of it. She curates some of it. And um, she gives 10% of her profits to the Parkinson Voice Project, which is uh, an organization that really helped my dad keep his voice Aww. and swallowing capabilities. To honor your dad. Yeah, to honor him, which is really cool. Um, but it's been it's been so fun because we are we'll dive into it today. But we're really learning. You know, she's learning all the facets of what it's like to start a business and and what it takes to do that. Which is just it's been really fun as a parent to get to guide her through that. And um, I'm being really careful not to take it on as another job, but really to empower her and let her run with it, which is, I, I'm sure you all know, it's a, its own thing <laughs> on its own. But so, yes, you yeah, can find her on yeah. Etsy. Well, and, and for uh, our listeners, oh, for it's, sure. like, it's Q, Q-T-I-E, mm-hmm. right? Because it's Quinn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So she, Quinn, she relates so Q-T-I-E, to the letter Q, so it's Q T I E. Pie jewels on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pie jewels. love that. It's cute, like she little earrings, little right? Mostly Etsy earrings. Or we'll put it in the show notes. Does she too. do other stuff? Uh huh. Ear. She does. Um, yeah, she does. Um, so she finger knits too. So she finger knits like necklaces and bracelets. And then mm-hmm. um, she has earrings, clip on earrings for those that aren't pierced, because you know her friend group is 50 50 on that. 
Um, and then she wants to figure out a way to create her own poppets, which she hasn't figured out yet, but those are a hot commodity. So she's trying to figure out how she can mm. actually make her own with those two, which would be kind of fun. Oh, so, yeah. And uh, like one of her friends is a 3D printer. She'll learn yeah. a lot about that. Um, so she's working right now with her friend that has a 3D printer to start 3D printing pieces that she can put on earrings. So she's like doing all these little like collaborations, which is really fun. So it's super cute. Super, super cute. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, on this podcast and in the Her Best Life circles, uh, some of our kids are entering into the world of owning their own businesses. My boys have had businesses for about three years, and some have zero interest <laughs> at all. So today we're going to share the success stories, the hacks, the fails, the lessons they've learned, the lessons we've learned when raising entrepreneurial kids as an empire builder ourselves. Like that's it's entrepreneurs raising entrepreneurs. Uh, I don't know about you ladies, but I wasn't raised by entrepreneurs. Seychelle was. Um, so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. oh, I guess, yes, Seychelle was. Big time. Um, but I saw the model of not entrepreneurs raising entrepreneurs. Uh, and so I would love to hear, let's go back in time. Like what were our businesses as a kid? Did, did you have uh, anything like well, that? Well, I was definitely not raised by entrepreneurs. Uh, although what's really interesting is is my my grandfather on my mom's side was entrepreneurial. I was not close to my mom's parents because they lived in California and I grew up in Minnesota. But when I was a baby, uh, my my grandfather ran gas stations and tasty freezes, which which was like a Dairy Queen. <laughs> and so when I was a baby, my grandfather convinced my parents to come out and run one of the tasty freezes. And so before I could even walk, I really spent about the first year of my life in the storage room of a Tasty Freeze while my parents made burgers and ran the cashier. And so I kind of grew up that way, but they hated it. Both of them always talk about how little money they made and how hard they worked and um, how much they just wanted to get back to Minnesota. And so I... You know, they, I don't remember them talking about that much, but I guess that didn't stop me. So my first entrepreneurial job that I can remember is we had a lake cabin and I would cut cattails, right? They're these like, mm -hmm. I guess everybody knows what a cattail is. It's a kind They're of plant. Fun. And I, I remember selling them door to door because it would be something that you could, you could put in a pot and it would look really nice dried. And just my first, you know, door knocking uh, exercise and selling and making money. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Did they yeah, buy? I remember making money. Like did people sure. buy? And then I actually had a jewelry business that I ran with my best friend, uh, Jenny mm. Tuck and it was called down to earth. So we would make jewelry with that kind of like sculpy clay and we sold it in three stores on consignment. And I can remember, very distinctly getting my very first business checking account when I was in high school and just seeing, like I have a very visual memory of seeing those checks with the down to earth as the, as the business name and what a big deal that was. And I did that into college. So we did that for quite a few years and uh, it was just consignment, mm. you know, you just put them in and you make a little money and so that's kind of my first side hustle. Then Girl Scout, cookie selling. Can I sold. I was a campfire girl, I guess. So I sold candy bars and all of that stuff. And I always did well. I never thought of myself as a salesperson um, until later, I guess. 
So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's funny. Mm-hmm. So I sold plants door to door as well that I like raised from seed. And, and my Crazy. mom was like, what in the world are you doing? Which truly was that's wisdom. Because awesome. I mean, I think I sold three out of the 50 that I I would have bought but, all of your plants. But yeah. still, I like, and I, I don't know where the idea, right. <laughs> I don't know where the idea came from. Like I wasn't modeled that. I think I think it's, again, just kind of the way my brain thinks anything's possible. Uh, sure, I can grow these plants and then sell them. Um, but the the greatest gift that my non-entrepreneurial parents gave me, my, my stay-at-home mom, who was a teacher before she had kids and I was raised by an accountant, she, when, when I was 14, I think, right, going into high school, you start thinking about mm-hmm. getting a job. And I'm sure I was talking to her about getting a job or something like that. And she said, what are you going to make if you go work at Wendy's or whatever, like all your friends, $4 an hour. She said, why don't you teach piano? You are exceptional. You're great at this. Like, why don't you do it? And I was like, mom, who is going to hire a 14 year old to teach their kids piano who are children also? (laughs) Um, and she's like, well, what could it hurt? And she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put an ad in the paper. It costs like $10. You're going to do piano lessons for $5 a, a lesson. And mm. you're going to, I'll drive you to their house. Because then those yeah. parents will hire you because they don't have to drive. Yeah. They'll hire a kid to, for their convenience of that. And um, so I started teaching piano at 14. And my mom uh, drove me. And she made me pay her for gas. So I had to pay her a dollar every lesson for her to drive me That's and sit awesome. there and <laughs> drive me to my next one. Um, and then by the time I could drive myself, wow. I had 20 students, as many as my piano teacher had. And that kind of gave me, so my math teacher, stay-at-home mom is who gave me the idea of never getting a regular mm-hmm. job. Like you use your gifts and skills and go do something. And did something. you guys babysit? That. that was I mean, my I did tons of babysitting experience. Oh yeah, growing up. Yeah. No, I oh, I babysat, it. but I hated it. Yeah, because you make I loved a lot it. of money Well, and I always made a deal. Yeah, you could make a lot of money. And I always made a deal with my parents that if I got the kids super worn out and I straightened up the house, I'd make extra. So I would always like, I would get Ooh. like tip plus extra. Like I would be like, well, it's, you know, 10 bucks an hour for this. But if I straighten the house too on like the downstairs and it's all clean when you get home and like the dishes are put away, can we do like, 14 an hour? Like, <laughs> so I always was getting more money that That's way. That's so good. Seychelles, I used to do that for free. worth and getting it. Mm-hmm. But I would eat all the, all the, <laughs> no, no, you know, all the potato chips in the pantry. So that was kind of like my payback. Yeah. The free snacks. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, the, the fruit roll-ups roll-ups were always oh, those gone. Those so good. Yeah. <sighs> I did, um, I did the usual of like Girl Scout cookies and I actually sold hair bows because, you know, Texas, um, we would make and sell hair bows as kids, but Probably one of my our better businesses that we would do every summer was there was this in Colorado, there was this um, bike festival called Fat Tire Bike Week that they would do, also the name of the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's called Fat Tire Bike Week and they would mountain bike from Crested Butte up to where our place was, like up these old rugged mine roads, but they'd have to like cross rivers and stuff to get there. That's like the hardest and, bike race. Um, I've heard of that. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. So it was right by our house. It went right by our house. And there would be hundreds of people that would do this. And so the first year, um, 
we put out a lemonade stand and our family had built one of, like there's two bridges you had to cross and our family had built them because our place was so far back in the woods that we decided to basically be like the bridge trolls. And if you bought lemonade from us, you could cross the bridge. But if you didn't, you had to forge the river. And so the first year, we ticked a bunch of people off and we didn't make any money. But the second year, (laughs) everybody brought money for the lemonade stand. And we banked. We'd make like several hundred dollars and one or two days off of this lemonade stand because everybody wanted to cross the bridge. So they would all tuck money in their socks and then pay us as they were going across. I guess they were kind of like, I don't know, like it was like the troll toll basically to get across the bridge. (laughs) Those like these little like eight-year-olds like, you can't cross unless you buy your lemonade. Um, So, Well, plus who doesn't want that when you're negotiating up in the beginning? Yeah. Right? I mean, you don't want to have wet socks. So it was, well, I think, it was a good deal. Uh, you know, my friend Jenny, I think her husband did that race. It's really mm-hmm. intense. Did he? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. we're we're probably closer I to the same age. Oh, no, he lemonade. did the Leadville 100. No, I know. I believe that's it. different. Yeah. Ooh, that also yeah. sounds hard. It was it was a ridiculous race. They, like, went up all these crazy mine roads. And, the, I mean, there's nothing paved. Like, it's just straight rocks you're biking over. Um, the other thing that was really lucrative as a kid was um, I taught cheerleading and gymnastics classes to, like, the girls trying out for cheerleader. And that was always a really, like, because my girls always made it, like, had a great track record. So that was always a really good supplemental income, too. But I, I always had a side gig of some so kind going on. you were a cheerleading my consultant parents were in high school? I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I they do paid, believe it. It's just that. interesting. No, I didn't know that was a yeah. job. That was a possibility. Oh, it's a thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, in Texas, cheerleading oh, yeah. is no joke, and you're going to do whatever mm-hmm. to get on the squad. If you want to be there. Want yeah, that's perfect sense. But yeah, so we did. Yeah. And, like, you really had to, like, for tryouts, even back then, like, now it's, like, way more intense. Like, that Navarro cheer squad out of college, like, they're, like, insane. Um, but the, even in high school back when we were there, it was extremely competitive and you needed to be like, you had to have a certain level of gymnastics capabilities and jumps and all that stuff. So yeah, but it was, that paid a lot better than if I had an hourly wage. So I would do that for two hours and make the same as if I had worked a whole day otherwise. So I did that a lot, which was definitely helpful too. I think loopholes was probably something like Matt, like figuring out how to maximize your time dollar um, exchange was something I tried to figure out really early. Like, how can I make more with less time? So I'm sure that was my parents' influence on that. Yeah. So Tiffany, so if we take a look what, at like- What are your kids doing? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Wendy. What are your kids doing? I know they're super different than each other, but they seem pretty entrepreneurial. Yeah, they um, they have a, well, the consistent business that they've had for a long time is we have chickens. And so they, the chickens are theirs and we get the dirty eggs to eat as rent um, in our backyard. And then they sell the rest of the eggs uh, in the community, which in the last few mm. months has really been a very lucrative business. They've been able to increase their pricing. Um, but <clears throat> they do that. Then when we were in Taiwan, we took a, a year trip and we're in Taiwan for a while. Um, and they saw this game rental concept Ooh. in Taiwan. And when we came back, they started doing that during COVID uh, at the farmer's market. 
And so we, we love games. So we have a ton of games. And so they went through all our games. They inventoried every single piece, like have a spreadsheet of how many cards are in apples to apples and blah, blah, blah. And then they would rent them out and people would pay them $10 to borrow the game. And then they would bring it back. And if they didn't bring them back, they'd you know be charged for the game. And they did that for two years. However, they realized they were wildly successful during COVID. And then they did it the next year and realized in the summer, mm. everybody goes on vacation yeah. when they're not, yeah. when they're allowed to. And so they realized, mm. oh, there's these moments in time mm. where businesses work and then maybe mm. they don't work anymore. And they decided not to adapt, but rather to just shut that down and go all in on another concept. So they've they've had... By the time they're 12, they've had three or four businesses with logos and um, like they did candy sushi Mm. last summer. They figured out how to make that Um, and won a business fair actually with that business. Um, And because it's like little pieces of art that you can eat. It's super fun. Well, what are dirty eggs? Yeah. I mean, what do you mean you keep the dirty eggs? Oh, I'm okay. not Is sure like the poo? listeners Chicken want poo? to get into this, but okay. um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, okay, uh, yeah. So there's some you have to clean to eat, and and I was like, let's not have the customers mm. have those. That'll be your rent. So the Fikes <laughs> family eats the the dirty eggs, and they I sell see. the ones that do you not want to wash dirty. them. You're not supposed to wash eggs, or yeah. No, if you don't wash eggs, like oh, wow. they can sit on your counter for three months. Wow. Without wow. spoiling, because they've got fascinating. this fascinating on them. Well, your kids are super yeah, entrepreneurial. Awesome. Uh, Seychelles, yours sound like they're entrepreneurial. I don't think my kids are really that entrepreneurial. I mean, they've done some entrepreneurial things through their school at Acton. Um, but I just, I don't think they're super, they're not super entrepreneurial. They don't come by, they don't do it naturally, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. They really mm-hmm. don't. You know, my sister was um, like that too. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. one of my kids actually doesn't doesn't come by it naturally. He logics mm. himself into wanting mm. to be entrepreneurial. We um, Aaron? we homeschool, and so one of the things they did for school was oh, this. Oh, it's Asher. Well, that makes no, sense. No, it's actually yeah. Asher who logics himself into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he we did a a little book called Kidpreneur, mm. which I highly recommend to anyone, whether you think your kids want to be entrepreneurs or not. So Kidpreneur. Um, and you, they watch videos, they learn about how businesses operate and they learn about employee and solopreneur and entrepreneur and all of that. And Asher through that was like, man, there's a place you can go and just get a paycheck. Ah. That sounds amazing. Um, but he, then he struggles with, Mm. but -hmm. I want to make the most money possible. And so I know that I can get more dollar per hour if I do this other thing. And so I wa- I'm watching this internal struggle with him and helping kind of let him try mm-hmm. different ways and not make him think that entrepreneurship is the right way. Cause I don't, it's mm-hmm. the hard way. It's, uh-huh. it's not the right way for most people. Well, we people. had something similar right. where so. Jay came home and we were at the table and Jay was talking about uh, Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. You know, he's, you've got the four squares mm-hmm. where you've got, um, entre- you've got um, basically worker, self-employed, business owner, and investor. Those are the four quadrants. And Jay mm-hmm. was explaining to them, and this was quite a few years ago when they were much younger. And he asked both of our kids, like, what do you, what do you, 
what sounds good to you? And our oldest immediately was, was like, yeah, that, that, um, that employee thing sounds pretty good. You know, you get up, you know, kind of do the same thing every day, come home. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. all these things. And then my second one was like, oh yeah, for sure. Business owner, like a hundred percent. And, um, although they're not that one, you know, my second one is not particularly entrepreneurial, but it's interesting how they just turn out even when they're raised in the exact same environment, you know, cause our kids are both close mm-hmm. in age. Mine are 15 months apart and yours are a little over a year, right? 16. Okay. Yeah. I thought they were a little close. 16. Yeah. My sister and I were having a conversation, um, a couple of weeks ago where, um, the, like she was working in my dad's business for some time. She's two years younger than I am. And, um, she would talk about how much stress it was for her, like how stressful it was for her working with that weight of the business success on her shoulders. And she's like, I'm just not wired that way. Like I do not want all of that responsibility, all of the liability, all of the stress on my plate. And I for so long felt like a failure because I had three entrepreneurs in the family and I was the only one that was the like outlier in it. Um, and she's like, now I'm a lot more at peace and comfortable in my own skin and who I am and what I want to do and my identity around that. Um, but it was interesting because we like, we had kind of the inverse of probably what a lot of families probably have of like three of us all creating things and blowing things up and, you know, building things. And Aaron, my sister's like, no, I don't want any of that. Like I'm, I'm not only leaving the business, I'm going to leave the state so I don't have to do that. So it's just interesting. <laughs> well, so what um, what do you think some, you know, if we did want to raise entrepreneurs or at least have an entrepreneurial mindset, because you can also be like, I think of Jay as an intrapreneur. Uh, he's someone Absolutely. who's built business, you know, built businesses inside a company. So it's the, you get to be an employee and you get to yeah. be an intrapreneur. You get to build something kind of within the safety of a larger umbrella. Yeah. You yeah. get the best of both worlds. If, if yeah, you're being really Jay's honest, built two you get businesses, the best of both basically worlds. with Gary's money, you know, and the safety of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's worked very, very hard for that success, but it is different than, than thinking like, Ooh, I'm completely on my own here. I'm, it's just me. Yes. It's very different. So, so what are some traits do you think that we could help our kids have as they grow? Um, I know for us, one thing that's been really important is to just encourage encourage curiosity in the world. And it's just a great trait for any mm-hmm. human being. Um, when our kids were young, um, mm-hmm. they really started, they started coming home from public school and being very unhappy. And I felt like sort of the joy of learning and the, and the excitement and curiosity of learning was being squeezed out of them. And I can remember our youngest came home from first grade and had a worksheet and it said, draw a picture of yourself in first grade. And it was a little kid sitting in the desk with tears running down their face with a thought bubble with a dragon in it. And yeah, I was like, okay, we are, we are changing schools. We are definitely, yeah, we are out. We are out of Um, here. (laughs) And so we got to, we dove into Acton Academy, which I've, which I've talked about before, and um, it stuck for one of them. It didn't stick for the other one, but their motto is be curious, and they teach kids how to learn, and I think that's an essential skill 
for any kid these days is to be able to teach them how to teach themselves. So curiosity Mm -hmm. is huge. I totally agree. Um, I think like learning habits, good habits, uh, recognizing what habits you have is super important. Um, Again, I'm almost like, is this this raising entrepreneurs or raising humans? But um, yeah, it's really raising humans. Um, You know, the habits of curiosity, uh, really, I think curiosity is a habit um, because in thinking about businesses, you've got to be curious about is this something the customer wants? Will what kind of money will they pay for it? What um, you know? What am I going to make? Can I make any money doing this? You've got to. I mean, Absolutely. everything about starting a business yeah. is questions, really. And so you've got to dig into that, and then mm-hmm. also yeah, the, the habit of, of working, work, of getting up um, and, and just committing to the work and doing it. Yeah, day after day after day. You know, we've talked about on our podcast so many times about, oh gosh, I really want to quit. But when you look at the most successful people, it's just the discipline of, of slogging through another day sometimes. So that's, Mm -hmm. that is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing, other habit that I would say is, uh, the habit of, of Mm -hmm. knowing about money, talking about money, uh, understanding yes. how money works. Uh, I know that sometimes we've had conversations about like, okay, in their businesses, uh, not in ours, but in our kids' businesses, they want to hire somebody to help them. And like, what do they want to pay them? <laughs> Something they would never work for, you know, like $1. Yes. yes. Yeah. That was Quinn. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And so like the the habit of money and understanding how money works and uh, how people work also and leverage and and learning and failing mm-hmm. through that, I think is really important. And, and I guess that actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to, well, I guess we'll talk about it probably, but failure, the habit mm-hmm. of failure and being mm-hmm. comfortable Love with that, that yeah. is another thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think for sure that definitely is. You know, I think um, something I've really noticed with Quinn is uh, the confidence building that having your own business does too. Um, It creates that uh, grit and resiliency that can come from failure. You're totally right, Tiffany. Um, But I'm also seeing her like beta testing things and trying things out. Like we worked a market two weekends ago and I basically was there to make sure like she didn't get abducted or something. (laughs) But she ran her little like table at the market and, um, you know, at first started out where people would walk up and she'd have all of her little jewelry out with her friend there. And she'd say, hi, do you want to buy something? And everyone would be like, Hmm, uh, no, I'm good. And then she started to say, Oh, hi, would you like to take a tour of our store? Well, who's going to say no to taking a tour of our store? And so then she would give them the tour of the store and she would mention how reasonable her prices were in the middle of the tour. And almost everyone walked away buying something. And it was like, it it created that confidence for her of testing different things out and having to figure it out and having to learn how to ask conversation, you know, have conversations um, and seeing su- direct success from that, I think, um, can really build that confidence for them at a young age that allows them to want to try different things and feel comfortable. If it's not working out, you can tweak or change that, which is great. Yeah. Watching my kids with that uh, game rental business at the farmer's market, like, probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life mm-hmm. is sitting down behind them and like not saying a thing and watching Blow them it. just 
<laughs> fall on their face multiple times. Like, oh my gosh. Yes. The, the first time somebody walked up and was like, what yes. are you doing here? Uh, like, what's, what's, what's this about? They both just <laughs> stared at him. And I was like, yeah, don't say anything, <laughs> Tiffany. Like, I lo- I'm like looking away. The adult looks at me and I look away and I'm like waiting for my kids to answer. And then two or three markets in, they've developed great ways. You know, like, do you like playing games? Mm-hmm. They don't even wait for someone to say something to them. They, they, yes. you know, have their script ready to go. But man, being that parent, not saying a thing oh. behind them was the hardest thing I've done. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I, I just think had sometimes get goosebumps parents, again. We feel like that's our uh, responsibility is to do everything for our parents, especially these days. And we just think that's our job. We think it's our job to make life easier for them. And actually by doing that, we're making their future life a lot mm-hmm. harder because then they come out uh, without confidence, without resiliency, without yeah. grit. And uh, that's not our job is to protect them from everything. Our job is to, of course, keep them safe. No, you don't want them abducted, uh, like Seychelles said. But at the same time, yeah. But at the same time, they need to have those little failures along the way to gain that confidence. So, yeah. Well, I think the, the other thing that kids really need is this idea of teamwork, you know, and I'm lucky enough to have, and I know your kids are the same way. And I know Seychelles, you're, you have an only child, so it's very different, but you know, my kids are so close in age that they often are a team. Um, And so they've had to do teamwork from a very, very early age because they've had to deal with each other. You know, they don't remember a time without each other. Like they're, they just don't have a memory of it. And so involving them in decisions uh, we do, uh, we talk about vacations on our family and we allow them to make decisions. Do you want to do this? Like what's on your bucket list? And sometimes they're not, they don't have things on their bucket list, but you can ask them, would you rather have a city vacation or a country vacation? Or what does that look like? Do you want to go drive somewhere? Or do you want to fly somewhere? Um, and then we've really, you know, again, Acton Academy has helped us with the teamwork aspect. So one of the things that they do at that school is every six weeks, they have a project that they have to do with other children. And I can remember, like, I don't, it took me a long time to become a team player. I feel like I was always like growing up, I I always hated teamwork because it's like, oh, I have to, I have to, I'm going to have to do most of it. Um, and everybody else is going to slack off and not be as good as me. And, and so I had to learn how to be a team player later in life. But, um, what I love about Acton is, is it puts kids and they do group work all the time. They're constantly doing group work and the groups always change. And if you're a lousy team player, you don't, nobody picks you for their group. So there's a lot of peer pressure that comes. Yeah. You don't get asked. So teamwork is everything. And I think as we, navigate the new world of work where we've got virtual and in person, like that idea of somehow being a team player across all mediums. And sometimes you've got remote workers is is such an essential skill to teach your kids. Mm -hmm. I, I could not agree more with you, Wendy, on that. And you're right. Having an only kid um, makes me think about this topic a lot 
because we don't naturally have that built-in team component at home. And that's where um, having Quinn from like pre-K three through she's in third grade now, um, having her in a Montessori environment has been really helpful because they do classrooms in three-year stints. And so the first year you're learning material, the second year you're mastering it, and the third year you actually become the teacher. And they work in groups as tables with all different ages at the tables, helping each other with that work and like setting their goals for the day of what they're planning on accomplishing. And then they all encourage each other for that. And I feel like that's been, um, we did a year in traditional public school and that just for her brain, it just at that age wasn't the right fit. And I think that team component of the three, three different grades with her not having younger, older siblings um, has made a huge difference for us with her comfort level with other kids of different ages um, and being in team environments. Um, we, you know, it's still something I know that will be a lifelong, um, ad, you know, a kind of adaptive piece that we'll have to work on because it's just not built in on a daily basis the same way. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been a huge help. I love that. And then just sports. I think sports are such a great way to, to build teamwork among kids, whatever it looks mm-hmm. like for your kids, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. I'm not actually sure siblings builds the best team work <laughs> just because like, yeah, you're learning to work <laughs> with someone, but you're not necessarily modeling kindness and how you communicate with each other. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'd be really curious if my children work in their, you know, school teams the same way that they work in their egg business together, because mm-hmm. the way they talk to each other in their egg <laughs> business, I sure hope they do not talk to their friends at school like that in their, <laughs> in their teamwork. So, well, and the last thing we already kind of touched on is the failure. So like, and again, it's for entrepreneurs and it's for anyone as humans, like learning how to learn through failure and how to see failure as learning, not actual failure. That's been a big part of what we talk about with our boys. And we have one that just blows right through failure, doesn't even remember probably that it happened 10 minutes later and just keeps going. And then we've got one that does everything Mm. humanly capable to never fail and never have that experience. Mm. And so helping put them in experiences where they're going to fail and not failing big, but just like that. Like, I'm not going to save you. The example I gave at the farmer's market, like I am Mm -hmm. not going to save you. You are incredibly uncomfortable and you don't know what to say even though we talked about it, like, you can do this. Read the room. Mm -hmm. Don't make that sale. And then the next time you'll be, you'll be more brave or you'll be more prepared. And you will also realize you did not die from that failure. Um, So I think that's a big thing is like letting them experience that. Cause I'm, I'm someone that spent a lot Mm -hmm. of my life avoiding failure at all costs. I was good at a a lot of things really easily. Yeah. And so I never really did that. And so failure felt like this huge thing. And so I don't know what the right word is, but I'm like trying to, uh, doing that therapy where you like make them do it over and over. Like (laughs) if they're afraid of water, get them in the pool over and over and over again, whatever that is. I'm doing that with my children in failure because I was not like that. For those of us that went to public schools, you know, you work to avoid an F. So, I mean, I don't think even people realize how yeah. uh, 
unconscious that that is driven into us. Like you don't want an F, you don't want an F, you know, everything bad's got a big red F on it and F stands for failure. So I think all of us who, who mm-hmm. ever went to public school feel that way. And mm-hmm. I love, um, I love that, uh, Tiffany, like I can remember when my oldest, when Gus did his first, uh, business fair, act in business fair, he made so many mistakes and I had to bite my tongue a million times as he and two partners, they made, they spent way more money than they should have on supplies. They made, they diversified too. So they made too many products instead of getting good at one product and selling that they made a bunch of them. They way overpriced it. And so in the middle of the fair, nobody had bought any of their stuff. There's this dawning realization on them like, oh my gosh, we're not going to sell anything. We're going to be stuck with all this crap essentially. And so then they're walking around trying to sell this at stuff at any price and they learned so many lessons. You know, they were 60 <laughs> plus dollars in the hole at the end of it. They had to pay, yeah. you know, both of their moms back and that's just like, you don't need to protect your kids from that. Like you don't need to waive the $60. Like that's not going to, that isn't going to serve them later in life. Um, uh, because these little failures right now are, they're inconsequential, you know, but they, they will help, they'll help them in the future. So, yeah. 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 You're, you're so right, Wendy. Well, you know, deciding to support our kids in these creative endeavors um, or in business, right, has so many real world lessons that we can use to help our kids grow. And I really appreciate you both sharing um, some of those examples today because as we're out there building those big businesses and those big lives, we have kids watching us and wanting to model certain pieces of that. So it's a gift we get to give to give to those kidpreneurs too. So we do have some of the things we talked about that will be in the show notes. So if you miss those, make sure you check it out. And more importantly, go out there and build a big business and an even bigger life. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.